my name is Danielle Solish. And my name is Iman Chaudhry, and you're listening to the eighth episode of Seeing Clearly, a pre-clerkship guide to all things ophthalmology. On today's episode, we will be interviewing Dr. Caroline Bommel. Dr. Caroline Bommel is a professor of ophthalmology at the New England Eye Center at the Tufts Medical Center in Boston, Massachusetts. She specializes in diseases and surgeries of the retina and vitreous. Her research interests specifically include the novel retina imaging and drug development, which continue from her early career research using the first prototype OCT and working with drug implants and photodynamic therapy. Her clinical interests include age-related maculopathy, diabetic retinopathy, complex vitreoretinal surgery, and retinopathy of prematurity. Dr. Baumol completed medical school and ophthalmology residency at the University of Toronto after undergraduate studies at McGill University. She completed two fellowships, one at New England Eye Center, Boston in Medical Retina and Lasers, and another in Vitreoretinal Diseases and Surgery at Wills Eye Hospital in Philadelphia. Dr. Baumol is board certified by the American Board of Ophthalmology, and she received the Crystal Apple and Senior Honor Awards from the American Society of Retinal Specialists the Senior Achievement Award from the American Academy of Ophthalmology, and the Donald Gas Beacon of Sight Award from the Florida Ophthalmologic Society. She's been appointed the ASRS Retinal Hall of Fame and was listed as the top 100 female ophthalmology in 2021. She's on the editorial board for the Ophthalmolic Surgery, Lasers and Imaging, OSLI, Retina and Retina Cases, and Brief Reports Journals. Dr. Baumel has offered authored over 150 publications, 28 book chapters on retinal diseases, and recently edited the book, Treatment of Diabetic Retinopathy. She's actively involved in teaching fellows and residents and was previously the director of education and the residency program at the New England Eye Center. So without further ado, we'd like to introduce Dr. Caroline Bomo. Hi, Danielle. Hi, Iman. Thank you so much for uh, introducing me. Uh, I feel like we spent all of our time in that introduction. Are we finished yet? <laughs> I'm really looking forward to talking to you, especially as you're both from Canada, which is obviously close to my heart. I, I am so grateful that I did so much of my medical training, my medical school and internship and residency in the Canadian system. I think it's great. So it's uh, nice to talk to some up and coming physicians. Well, thank you for being with us. I guess we can just jump into the first question here. Um, let's get started with um, what drew you to the field of ophthalmology? Sure. Um, it's interesting, maybe when I was a first or second year medical student, I don't know if you still have to do this, but we had to go buy the black bag. Do you, do you have to buy the black bag anymore? No. Nope. I don't think so. No. I, I wish I still had my black bag because it belongs in a museum. It was like the real old doctor's black bag. And in it, there was the, we had the stethoscope and we had to buy a blood pressure cuff. And there was the otoscope. And of course, we had the direct ophthalmoscope in there. And probably out of all of the equipment, the direct ophthalmoscope was the hardest to use. And one of the things that we had the least instruction on, um, you know, we get a lot of cardiology and pulmonology 
you know, a lot of the life-saving skills that you need to know to be a doctor, but sometimes, you know, they miss a little bit on ophthalmology. And now I understand why in ophthalmology, we have our own language. Mm -hmm. And um, it's like, actually, when people start residency, they find it hard because it's like you're starting new. You have to learn this whole new vocabulary. So as a med student, and I had all of this equipment, and first year went by, and second year went by, and I did not know how to use my ophthalmoscope. And so I said, well, I want, I, I was always drawn to things that challenged me. So I said, well, I would like to do an elective in ophthalmology. And at that time, I did an elective with Dr. John Fowler at uh, the Toronto East General, which you told me has a new name now. And um, I went and I watched him and he did cataract surgery. And it was amazing you know, people who couldn't see and they could see. And then during this elective, uh, spent a lot of time when he was examining patients sitting in the dark, watching him do what he did. And at the end of the elective, he's like, you know, ophthalmology, you can, you can really change someone's life. You can really help someone by being an ophthalmologist. Mm -hmm. And after that, I was, I was really intrigued. And um, I tried to do a little more time in ophthalmology. And Danielle, I was telling you, I also like dermatology a lot. I like skin cancer. But the one thing that's unique about ophthalmology is, so when you do do ophthalmology, you have so many choices within ophthalmology. Like mm -hmm. it's very, it can be very heavy, heavily surgical. And I do a lot of surgery, but you could do medical ophthalmology. There's medical subspecialties. You could even do oculoplastics, which is more, could be trauma or could be cosmetics. So I think you can go, the eye is small and the periorbital region is small, but it's so vital and it's so important. And there's so many places to go from it. So I would say it was really my like desire to understand how to use that ophthalmoscope that made me like go down the chain of ophthalmology. It wasn't really something I ever thought of before. I knew almost nothing about it. Yeah. No, and, and I, I think honestly, even though like, like some things about medical school are different now, I still find that in the field of ophthalmology, there's definitely a little bit less attention put on it, especially in your first two years of medical school. Like we, we definitely don't have to buy an ophthalm, like anything relating to ophthalmology. Um, I, we don't have the black bag, but we just get a stethoscope is pretty much yeah. it. So um, that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that a lot of people don't have the opportunity to explore or like choose not to maybe because they don't know a lot about it. So, yeah. Um, well, I remember, for example, one day was uh, with a friend of mine. Um, I was a, maybe a second year resident and I was with a friend of mine who was a plastic surgeon and we were in the ICU seeing a patient. And I had my note, my clinical note there. And he's looking at it. He's like, this is the problem with ophthalmology. None of us understand your notes. What's SLE? And what's like MA? And what's PDR? And I said, well, you have to be in the club to understand <laughs> our language. But, but it, is, it is challenging because we do learn a whole new language. And, um, and that's why I think in medical school, there's just so much information that we have to learn now. Maybe ophthalmology is, is um, the minutiae, like the details are not as much, you know, there's not as much time for them, I think. No, no, I, I completely agree. 
and it's unfortunate it's like there's so much information you have to learn in in two years Mm -hmm. so of course it's impossible but right yeah and then I guess this kind of leads me more to my the second question because you spoke about how within ophthalmology there's like so many different paths you can take so could you talk specifically about I know that you're in the retina path like what it's like to be a retina specialist what a day in the life looks like sure so I would say once again I was drawn to retina because retina for me was very challenging you know it's looking in the back of the eye patient patients aren't always cooperative mm-hmm. uh, because it can be a little bit uncomfortable sometimes um, so that's what really drew me and um, I would say that a life in the a day in the life of most retina specialists is probably busy I mean we see a lot of patients and uh, I think probably even more so in Canada. Um, but, you know, a lot of places we see a lot of patients. And it's just a different sort of specialty. You know, we have, the examination can be very focused. And in about 2005, 2006, there was a real revolution in the treatment of some of our diseases in retina. And that's really macular degeneration and diabetic retinopathy. Before that, we had laser treatment, or sometimes we use something called photodynamic therapy or surgery. But really, um, after 2005, um, anti-VEGF therapy became the mainstay of treatment for many people with macular degeneration, with neovascular macular degeneration, or with diabetic macular edema or proliferative diabetic retinopathy. So now most people who do retina on a day that you're seeing patients, you might see patients that you also need to treat with injections of this medicine in the eye. And the thing about these medicines is they're very effective, but patients to have the maximum effect might need to have injections every you know four to eight weeks or six to eight injections a year. So it makes for a lot of patients who need these injections and it can sometimes be indefinitely. So uh, for example, I have uh, 75 or 80 patients booked tomorrow. Not everyone will come, but I have brand new residents that I have to teach tomorrow Mm -hmm. who are unfamiliar with, we use electronic medical records. I don't know if that's what everyone uses in Canada, but in the States, um, you really have to use for certain types of practices, you have to have electronic medical records and there's certain requirements that they have to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's complicated because you might be a resident in one hospital system and use one type of, uh, EMR and then have to learn another type of EMR. I use four different types of EMR. Wow. So sometimes, you know, I usually remember my password, but it's a lot. They're very, very different. So some days it, it can be a lot. I think that a lot of retina doctors, um, not in my system, but in other systems, when they see a lot of patients, they might use a scribe, which is someone who will help transcribe, or they might have electronic dictation. You can actually get virtual scribes mm-hmm. to help people with the, the patients. But even if you just see, you know, 30, 40 patients, I think most people are pretty pretty busy. And uh, I came, 
I was in Toronto maybe four years ago giving um, a round in, uh, at the University of Toronto. Mm -hmm. And uh, most of the retina doctors seemed like they were exceptionally busy. Well, thank you for your insight into kind of what a day in the life looks like. And thanks for being here with us, even though, you know, your schedule is insanely oh. busy. We really appreciate it. Well, um, you know, I should say that it's busy. But the one thing is that even though busy comes to mind first, just because I'm thinking about tomorrow, it's busy, but I think it's very rewarding. So I shouldn't say busy without adding rewarding because these medications that we use and the treatments that we have are so effective mm -hmm. and help many more people um, than we could reach 20 years ago. I remember before we had these treatments, so busy, but effective. And I I'm like find it very rewarding and I'm happy with what we do. I think we're able to to really show that sort of benefit of these medications. No, exactly, and a busy schedule is only so busy if you're enjoying it, which it seems like you definitely are, which is important. And you kind of talked about it a little bit, um, but uh, going back to how you, know, you completed your medical school training in Canada, could you maybe tell us a bit about what it was like to complete your training here in Canada, but then transition to practice in the US? Um, sure. So originally, my plan had been to um, do a year of medical retina and then come back to Toronto and do cataract surgery and medical retina. Um, and I had an amazing year during medical retina. I went to Tufts and they were just working on the first prototype OCT at that time. So we would do OCT imaging on our patients and these pictures were just were just amazing. Um, but if you if someone who has OCT now looked at them, you'd be like, what were you looking at back then? But the pictures were amazing because we had nothing like that. And uh, we were also working a lot on something called the Ganciclovir implant, which was used to treat CMV retinitis. This was before it was FDA approved here. So I had such a great, like compelling year here, um, but I missed operating. And um, so I'd see patients uh, with the retina doctors and sometimes I get to go to the OR and I, and I missed it. Then I, my mentor here, Jay Duker said, I don't know why you're only doing medical retina. You should really do surgical retina. And I said, you know what? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay and I'll do some more surgery. And then um, when I finished my surgical retina, just the timing was right to come back to Tufts. I think that um, being a Canadian and coming to the States and seeing patients, they were very um, impressed with, you know, my ability to see a lot of patients because I don't know what it's like being a resident in Canada now, but when I trained, there were always, you know, a lot of patients that needed to be seen um, because, you know, we had, uh, at that time, maybe there weren't as many ophthalmologists as there are now, it's hard to know, but we, as, as residents, I think we got very well trained. And, um, you know, ophthalmology is a very visual specialty. And this is one thing that I always tell my residents that, you know, I work with, I say, see as many patients as you can, because a lot is 
of the diagnoses are by visual recognition. Mm -hmm. So once you see something once and you manage it, you'll remember it for, you know, so you want to see as many things as you can while you're a resident and you have someone to ask because then you're going to go out there and you're going to have to manage all these patients. Mm -hmm. So I definitely saw a lot of patients when I was a resident in Toronto. I think that's actually feedback that residents still say now that in the yeah. Canadian residency programs, you're seeing a vast majority of patients and then being able, like what you learn in class is obviously extremely important, but can only take you so far. And you need to actually have that hands-on visual experience and, you know, to remember and to be able to then apply it later to your own practice. So yeah, that's awesome. Right. Um, just our next question about this all. So I know besides being a practicing physician, you're also involved in research and clinical trials. So could you speak a little bit about that and what it's like to balance, you know, practicing as a physician, but also being involved in research? Sure. Um, well, the, I like to be involved in clinical trials because I want to give my patients options to, you know, whatever's up and coming in, in care. And um, there's so many things that are interesting gene therapy, new types of drug delivery devices, new medications that might last longer than the typical anti-VEGFs or new types of anti-VEGFs. And I really want my patients to benefit from this, um, which is the main reason why I do clinical studies. Um, and the other reason is it just keeps it more interesting, um, able to work with companies and, you know, even work a little bit on the development side with them, help them do some of their data safety monitoring, which I've been involved a lot in, help them develop protocols, um, which I've worked on as well. So for me, I find that extremely interesting, especially as I'm getting more on in my career, um, just that sort of transition from seeing patients every day to you know spending some time during the week and working on um, development. But I usually find that I end up doing that on my you know, after work time, because uh, we're just so busy um, at uh, seeing patients. So it's good to try and find a balance between, you know, once you've built up your practice, working on other things to so stay interested in the field that you're in. It's amazing to see that you're able to kind of do both and manage both. I mean, they kind of go hand in hand, but it's nice to have the difference in your schedule, I'm sure. Um, so that's kind of all we have for ophthalmology related questions. So thank you so much for answering all of that for us. Um, both of us really appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners will as well. Um, as our listeners kind of know, at the end of the episode, we go into a more fun segment to kind of get to know you a little bit better. So uh, we're going to do a would you rather uh, segment. And so I'll start with the first question. Uh, which is, would you rather stay in the same place for the rest of your life or never be able to move? Well, that's easy. A, <laughs> I mean, neither of those are great options. Yeah. And, um, but uh, I would probably have to stay in the same place my whole life. Although I would rather more fun. As I said, I would rather more fun. Would you rather? <laughs> like would I rather eat chocolate cake or vanilla cake like either's fine exactly it's hard vanilla. I'll take vanilla but like either's good now we know we'll send you one in the mail okay <laughs> um and 
our second would you rather question is, it's also maybe hard. So apologies in advance, but would you rather listen to your least favorite song for a loop for an entire year or never listen to music at all for a year? That's easy, never listen to music. Have you ever, sometimes we do surgery and um, uh, sometimes while we're doing surgery, I should say, um, the nurses like to play music and I usually let them play what they wanna play because it makes them happy versus um, I typically like it more quiet in the OR with no music because then I know that the fellow I'm working with is gonna listen to me if I, if I don't have any music on. But I will say sometimes the music is so bad, I would rather just have quiet. So that's okay with me. Sure. Guys, it was so great to talk to you. And you know I really wanna encourage people to consider ophthalmology. I think it's a great specialty. I will tell you that one of the key things to being an ophthalmology person is to know how to spell ophthalmology. Exactly. And it's, I learned it when I applied for ophthalmology. It's O-P-H-T-H-A-L-M-O-L-O-G-Y. So it has this extra H in there. So if you apply to ophthalmology, key to get that right. Um, I think it's a great profession. I think... Um, no matter what you do, probably looking back, one of the most important things I'd say in being a resident or an intern is to really like be collegial with your colleagues mm -hmm. because you might end up working with them other places. That is a big thing in the, in the US. I think residents and fellows, they, they really hang out together a lot. Right. Um, and uh, for cer certainly in ophthalmology, try and do some electives where you want to go. Try and write a paper or do some sort of research, or even if it's like writing something in your medical school, like publication. And um, and um, I think it's a great profession. So, well, thank you so much for all of the advice, and especially uh, to let all of our listeners know the right way to spell ophthalmology. You'd be surprised. <laughs> how many people forget the age so that's very helpful um, but thank you to everyone else for listening to this episode of seeing clearly again it's our pre-clerkship guide to all things ophthalmology and so to stay caught up with everything else that iCurriculum is doing be sure to check out our website at www.icurriculum.com and follow us on instagram at iCurriculum and thank you so much again for uh, for being with us today we really appreciate it and uh and really enjoyed having you on the, the episode. Oh, thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.